Welcome to Creative on Purpose Live. These conversations are about flying higher and endeavors that make a difference. Step into possibility with integrity and intention. It's time to be creative on purpose. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Endeavor and founder of Creative on Purpose. Learn more about me and my work and grab a free copy of the Creative on Purpose handbook at becreativeonpurpose.com. Let's meet today's guest. David, welcome to the broadcast. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where they can find you to learn more. Well, thanks, Scott. First of all, thank you so much for allowing me to be a guest on your show. I enjoyed interviewing you recently. Uh, my name is David Reynolds, and I work at PAGE, the Professional Association of Georgia Educators uh, in Georgia. And I can be emailed at leadlearnchange at icloud.com. I've also just started on Instagram at lead.learn.change. And you can find some articles I've published on my LinkedIn page at David W. Reynolds. And summaries of the research we've engaged in at work on our website, which is currently under construction and improvement at work is www.pageinc.org and Twitter at page, all uppercase underscore impact. And my podcast, Lead, Learn, Change can be found on your favorite podcast app. Fantastic. Well, you are um, an interesting guest in a couple of ways because you are involved in education in institutional education, as I understand it. Um, and then you also have this side hustle that you're, uh, that you're starting with the lead uh, podcast. Tell us a little bit more about, um, you know, what, what it's like to work a day job, but also be involved in, in a side hustle or passion project. Uh, busy, uh, <laughs> full, uh, but a great amount of crossover and valuable connections. I think the more you get into two sides of work, the more you see how they are linked with each other and how they can feed into uh, one another. So as part of the work in the impact project, which is my full-time job at PAGE, we are currently in the phase of research that we're involved in now focusing on individual educators. We have done a significant amount of work in the past looking at a, a entire school and a shift in school culture, and then networks of some high poverty contiguous, geographically contiguous districts in South Georgia, and then some networks of uh, other districts as well. And the pendulum has sort of swinging back to the focus on the individual educator. And that paralleled a shift in our professional learning department's work to open up opportunities to individuals more so than they had been in the past. And so as a result of that change or parallel with it, I'm discovering that there are there's an endless supply of people who could be potential guests or contributors to a show and talk about what matters most in teaching and learning and where, how leading intersects with learning and how change intersects with leadership and how all those three dimensions of work and life uh, really can make a huge difference in, in somebody's life. Really, really fascinating. And just before we jumped on, we were um, discussing how I lived in northern Georgia and have definitely had some experience um, down there as, uh, as an educator. And um, yeah, there's some significant challenges going on in education, public education in particular right now, 
but lots of opportunities as well. And I love this message that you're two, you, you're not saying you're two jobs or your two endeavors is two separate things. They're, they seem to feed and intersect and align um, with each other. And it's interesting to me just because I found the same thing. You know, I'm a guitar teacher for part of a day and then I'm this kind of personal development life coach figure on the other. But in both capacities, I'm often saying and speaking to much of the same, the same type of things. So tell us a little bit more about the, the podcast and about these intersections that you're finding with um, how you know teaching is also informed by learning and leadership and change. Well, minutes before we started this call today, I actually emailed an educator whom I have not met, but I will know soon as a result of uh, a lead, so to speak, from a colleague at work who is a membership services uh, representative that supports our members and does some tireless work on the ground, visiting school after school after school and interacting with educators face-to-face, Nancy Radcliffe. And she came across a young man that she had taught in the past and saw him teaching somewhere, was a little surprised. And uh, the reason she was surprised was because he had dropped out of high school. Hmm. twice. Wow. So now he's in his third year of teaching and he's been noticed and recognized for his ability to connect with students who might need a slightly different approach or a different relationship uh, to um, on-ramp to that learning and access uh, content in a way that is meaningful to them. So I sent him an email and asked if he would be interested in uh, being a guest on the podcast, or at least contribute to a portion of an episode. And Nancy had already done some, some lead work. And I got a response in minutes uh, saying, yes, you know, and so we're going to speak next week and uh, have that conversation so that people can hear that a student in a situation in a moment in time may not actually uh, be realizing his or her full potential and that you can still make a difference. This young man told Nancy how much, uh, you know, he remember being in her class and he apologized for, you know, some of his high school uh, behavior. And, uh, but she didn't, hadn't given that a second thought as a good educator, of course. But now uh, you look back and you see the influence of the ripple that you had on an individual. And that's really a theme that runs throughout the podcast. So, It's not isolated to this one teacher for an upcoming episode, but the very first teacher out of the box specifically mentioned someone she had heard speak at a totally non-education related situation or event and how completely shifted her perspective on how to view her students and get to know them and and, and serve them the best way. And you'll hear that throughout. Uh, you talked about when, when you and I had a conversation for the podcast, uh, you talked about following your passion and the intersection of purpose and, and making sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right people. And so as an educator, you can be the right person uh, mm-hmm. for any student at a given point in time and try to connect them with work that matters so that they're engaged in learning and they find some excitement in that. And you don't have to do a lot of dog and pony show sort of sage on the stage or be engaging yourself. You just simply need to design work that they engage with because it has value and meaning to them. And that's a 
separate conversation we can dig into, but there's a huge overlap uh, because of the notion of engagement and leadership and people being willing to change how they look at their craft. Uh, nothing that we do at Page or that I'm sharing here is intended to indicate that teachers are not uh, doing their work well. Uh, teachers are not the problem uh, or at all. We're not working on teachers. When we work, we work on the work. So the experience that you design for somebody and the relationship that you form with them are the two things that matter the most. And that's true. I could flip this around, Scott, and ask you a couple of questions and one question, really, and you could respond to that. We can do that if you'd like. And it would be so glaringly obvious that this notion of engagement and appealing to the motives that a learner or an individual brings to the table, those are the things that provide the entry point for real learning. And so it's a, it's a little cliche, uh, but, you know, the notion that people don't care what you know until they know that you care kind of thing, mm. it, it, it really is true because relationships matter. Teachers matter. Teachers doing a great job. Uh, students are, are not the issue at, at all. There's so many contextual challenges that, fa- that teachers in schools and districts face, but the people I meet and the people I get to intersect with in Georgia in the public schools are giving, generous, kind, caring professionals who absolutely want each student to succeed. So uh, I've got nothing but, but praise for them overall. And we are so excited to be able to work with them over a multi-year period for those who voluntarily engage with us and talk about how to look at your work intentionally and how to make a huge difference in students' lives and colleagues' lives. So there is, it's really not two sides of the same coin here as far as the podcast and the uh, impact project work. It's uh, as a colleague of mine said, it's really like the the cream and the coffee. Uh, It doesn't (laughs) matter which one is which, but it's really one thing that's improved uh, with both items there, unless you're a black coffee drinker, then that analogy (laughs) will be lost on you. But uh, the point is, it's not really even two separate sides. It's really one thing. Well, what I love about is I I wrote down three words as you were speaking, enrollment, curiosity, and empathy. And I'd like to, to talk a little bit about all three of those, but one of the things that um, I'm hearing and, and, you know, lots of us have, you know, look at, at education and see quote unquote problems. And so when, you know, we are looking, looking for and looking at problems, then, you know, we're looking for the culprits. And so for some it's the students and for some it's the teachers and for some it's the parents and for some, some it's the system, but we, we, it sounds to me like at the government level and maybe even at the, um, you know, kind of regional school school district level, a lot of the things that get addressed are systemic things. Like how do we look at the system? How do we improve the system? And what I'm hearing and what you're saying is you're paying more attention at looking at the teachers and the students, the students, you know, looking at the students with the empathy to understand the struggles that they're having and the, the aspirations and dreams that they have and looking at the 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 teachers as a vehicle for helping a student get from where they are to where they want to be and looking for ways that you can support teachers to do what they want to do and love to do and do that better in service to the students, which is, of course, 
in service to a much higher um, calling, which is to the culture and to society, society in general. So just if you were to, um, and, and I am happy for you to ask me any questions that you want to ask, um, but, uh, you know, I, I would love to hear what you think are the roles for um, those three words that leapt to mind. Uh, and you can take them, any of them that you want and take them in any order or ignore them as you like. But what I wrote down was enrollment, curiosity, and empathy. Okay. Well, the empathy part uh, goes back to the relationship piece that I've touched on already. I mean, you really have to know your students. You have to know what appeals to them, uh, what interests them. It doesn't mean that a student gets to choose among everything possible uh, what content he or she learns. Now, it may mean that he or she has some choice inside uh, a large standard, for example, uh, of a specific area that he or she wants to pursue. Uh, but the empathy comes in knowing them and understanding their situation and their needs on in episode four, uh, Howard Mallett's one of uh, the teacher, a teacher in New Jersey, talks a great deal about um, episode four of Leave, Learn, Change. He talks a great deal about just knowing when something's not quite right with a student and uh, being able to understand that um, they might be dealing with things that we didn't even experience as a young person or that we can't understand now because we haven't experienced it firsthand, which is goes back to the young man I spoke to you about earlier. Uh, he dropped out of high school two times and now he's teaching. Well, there was there were obviously some issues, challenges, uh, some disenfranchisement or whatever that took place. I'll, I'll find that out when we speak uh, that led him to say, I don't really want to stick with this. But then something else happened uh, that led him to say, I'm going to. And then he shifted from there. Um convinced before I even speak with him for our initial phone call that he's going to point to a couple of people that really could empathize and understand where he was coming from and connected with him there. Uh, enrollment to me, one of the other terms you mentioned is somewhat analogous to engagement. I mean, there I've read a lot of Seth Godin's work and enrollment is very, very similar. I'm going to use them synonymously because of the time that we have. But when you think about engagement or enrollment, it's somebody choosing to voluntarily commit their attention and invest their time on something because they value the work uh, itself. There's something inherently valuable to them. And that gets into the need for educators to design experiences for learners, whatever their age. Mm -hmm. This is not a K-12 or a P-20 thing. This is really a cradle to grave type of thing. If you think about enrollment uh, in different careers or whatever it is, uh, it, the experience that you engage in, if it appeals to the motives that you bring to the table, you're going to be engaged in it and you're going to want more uh, when it's over. And you might hear students saying things like, ah, you know, when the bell rings or, you know, do, can we do this again tomorrow? Or, Taking mul make, making multiple stabs at doing their absolute best work instead of doing just enough, you know, to get the passing grade. Uh, so that moves into student responses to work from engagement all the way down to rebellion. Uh, but there's, there's levels of compliance and there's a lot of compliance uh, that takes place with especially good students. I was a very compliant student uh, in most of my classes. You know, I did what I was supposed to do. 
I wanted to get an A. And of course, you know, you might be trying to earn your way into college. There's absolutely nothing wrong with those as goals and objectives. Then in industrial arts or in photography, I was at a different level of response to that work. I, I was going to end up getting an A as a byproduct of my effort, not as the, the focus or my aim, because I really loved what I was doing. I mean, my my dad sits in the chair that I made in industrial arts in high school to this day when he works at his desk. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, and so I'm still using the things that I learned there uh, in 11th and 12th grade and then throughout college uh, in that arena. So that's enrollment to me is a voluntary commitment of attention. Just think about students. They're really volunteers. Uh, Phil Schlechte, uh, whom I must to whom I must attribute a lot of my thinking about this work, he passed away a few years ago. He talked about students as volunteers and students as customers. Then um, I had a very interesting conversation with a colleague recently about the students as customers notion. And um, we talked about it being a metaphor, really just to help people realize that they have a choice uh, with their attention and their commitment. Really what we want to say is they are the most important people that we serve every single day. And so, you know, you, you choose to engage because you find work or an experience meaningful to you. And for some people, that's because you really value choice or maybe it's affirmation or affiliation. There's different things that appeal to different people. Uh, that's why of the 800,000 podcasts, your listeners listen to you. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of them out there. We all make these choices all the time. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, qualities you can build into work and experiences that will appeal and, and lead to enrollment and people wanting to be there. You're going to have to forgive me and repeat the third one because I remember I got enrollment and empathy. What's the third one? The, the third one was curiosity. Okay. So curiosity really does get at uh, some of the design quality components. So some, some people, some learners really strive, uh, really thrive rather on novelty and variety. They, they want a different experience to get at the same content or that might uncover additional content. They don't want to do exactly the same thing every day. Other students really thrive on the, on the consistency. So obviously you have to mix it up over time so that no student leaves a course or a semester or a class never having been engaged. But it's unreasonable to think that you can that everyone's going to be engaged all the time, every day. I mean, it's, it's just not possible. People move in and out of being engaged uh, throughout all sorts of experiences. And, and then there's the organization of, of knowledge. Like how, how is the work structured? How does a student get access to it? Is it through a computer? Uh, believe it or not, some students are sort of tired of that. <laughs> they don't want to do their work on a computer all the time. We've had Students in focus groups mention that, you know, if it's simply a substitute for uh, other work that they don't find appealing, you know, it's now a digital worksheet, so to speak, or uh, when uh, LCD projectors and smart boards came out, you know, without training, you might not know how to use those sometimes, but at the beginning, they were really nice versions of the old overhead projectors that we used to have when I was in school, which were really nice versions of the chalkboard. Uh, so uh, you great teachers leverage these tools in ways that really appeal to students' interests and allow them to, to use those tools and run with them. So students want to have some choice in how they demonstrate what they know. For me, if you said, okay, 
uh, instead of a conversation today, you must create a skit and sing a little song for us. We would not be having this interview because I'm not, I'm not uh, musically inclined that way. And I'm not going to do that. You, on the other hand, may be happy to pick up one of the guitars in the background there and play something and talk about, you know, purpose and passion and being creative on purpose real quickly. That's not for me. So if that's all we did every day was sing songs uh, I'm not going to be engaged in the class or the work. So uh, the the variety makes a difference, uh, but not all over the place, just enough to you know, appeal to the students that are in the room. And they will, well, the only way you really know is it by talking to the students. I may design something that I think is awesome. It's great. This is a great lesson. But if I ask my students, I may find out otherwise. Mm-hmm. So we have to be willing to to change and we have to be able to empathize empathize with that. So uh, this uh, curiosity piece is you want to create learning experiences and you want to create projects and work opportunities with some choice built in so that students want to pursue it and they are curious enough that they will persist in the face of difficulty and they'll voluntarily commit their time and attention, which goes back to enrollment. You know, you've picked some some nice phrases there that are really connected together. You really can't just un- you know, disentangle those. They're they're linked uh, in very strong ways. Uh, so that's how I would respond about those three items. And we try to do that within our professional learning sessions, for example, to to model that sort of thing with the educators that choose to interact with us. Yeah, well, that's uh, you did, that was masterfully done. And I, I just one of the things that you said that I would just love to highlight is you talked about like having an aim in mind, but you also have to pay attention to, um, you know, the information that's coming back. So oftentimes, you know, we, we have an agenda or we have an idea, we have an outcome that we're, we're trying to, to have with a student or the person sitting across the table from us, but we can't know all the, the, the other things that might happen, the opportunities and challenges that we might be confronted with. So it's really important to have that curious mindset too, just to be interested in watching how things unfold and trusting that you'll have the ability to um, pivot or, or, or change, you know, make a different choice as you proceed forward in the interest of, of, you know, helping, helping the the person in front of you get to wherever it is that they want to be. I'm guessing that, uh, I know that for me, one of the reasons I went into education uh, was because of the teachers that I had uh, as a as a junior high and high school student. Um, and I'm guessing that there's uh, a reason why you went into this work that might have something to do with um, some sort of important figure or some important figures. I'm just wondering if you had any teachers, mentors, people that you know were heroes or or um, guided you in any way. Who who they might have been and how they might have helped you, uh, you know, lead you to this path that you're on. I think they led me as an afterthought almost because I did not enter teaching for the reason that uh, you just explained. Uh, actually, which is the reason most great teachers uh, enter the field is because they actually want to make a difference and they, and, or they love kids. Uh, they just get a kick out of seeing the light bulbs go on and helping somebody progress and be successful and accomplish something. And that's, that's a, a really great feeling when that happens, but I didn't really know that uh, when I decided to go into an education field, I was actually interested in the content. Uh, I enjoyed the industrial arts experience so much in high school 
I thought, okay, after a year of undecided freshmanness, I thought I'll go into industrial arts education because then I'll have access to an awesome workshop and I'll be able to uh, teach kids how to do this and do some things on my own. It was really kind of selfish and, and short-sighted and narrow-minded, but i got to be honest. So that's, that's why I went into it. It's like, I love this content. This is enjoyable to me. And then when I started teaching, I actually enjoyed it and I did like the students and it was enjoyable to see everybody working on something different. We did not do the stereotypical, everyone's building a birdhouse. I hate to use that analogy, but sometimes if you, if you're about 60, like I am, people remember Mm -hmm. shop class. And I always say, it's not shop. We aren't going to the mall for shopping. This is industrial arts. At least let's change the name a little bit. Uh, And it was woodworking and drafting back before CAD existed, T-squares and triangles and drafting boards and, and some electricity. But every student got to pursue what they wanted to pursue. So, you know, Bobby was working on a four-poster twin bed and, you know, Kelly was working on a little curio cabinet for her mom and, you know, other students, uh, Kenny's dad was an electrician and he was working on some things that, you know, could store uh, equipment material in the back of a panel truck, that sort of thing. Everybody did some some different things. And then uh, Robbie did multiple turnings on the lathe for candlesticks for, for gifts for his entire family, that sort of thing. So he had all these different things going on at one time, all these machines running and everybody was pursuing it, but they were all learning the same content and concepts as they went measurement and uh, how to spec out a, a material sheet and figure out, you know, doing a lot of uh, math with uh, mm-hmm. squ- board feet and, and square inches of material and doing process flow and, and sequence and finishing and, and helping each other. And then everybody cleaning it up at the end of every single class period as if it had never been touched. So I started liking it a lot. And then my whole world shifted when the district went from a junior high school format to a middle school. I lost my freshman, picked up sixth graders, quite a shock uh, to say the least. There's a lot of difference between an 11-year-old and a 15-year-old or 14-year-old, but they love to be there. The entire curriculum changed as well. That's another story which we don't have time for today, but I ended up enjoying that. So uh, the people who inspired that really were Mr. Tom Glenn, my industrial arts teacher, and then just interacting with students in a fun way would have been Frank DeCenci, uh, and uh, Barbara Fisher, also student teachers from high school. But I had some in, in college as well uh, that, you know, really brought the content alive again, uh, Dr. Frank Pittman. And then in, even in my postgrad, you know, graduate work, rather, uh, Dr. David Carr and Nancy Mims and Tom Career, they, they were some great educators that started making me think about some of the headier types of things that you're asking me about today. And then Dr. Phil Schlechty, uh, who was, Uh, just a great thinker, and Dr. Allie McGill, uh, who was our executive director until she passed away uh, recently. Uh, I worked with her three times in three different situations, and has she had a huge uh, impact, which is a another separate 30-minute plus conversation. So those are the people, I think, and then becoming a dad Mm -hmm. and having 
a live-in student, 24-7, 365. Uh, you know, he's now in medical school and uh, year three, and my wife was a teacher and uh, just so caring and kind and just loved the little ones. She worked with the smaller kids and I worked with the older students. So uh, there's been a lot of different people who've influenced and, and people that I've met since I've been in the podcasting fellowship and one of these Akimbo workshops, you, uh, Maria, David, uh, Seth as a teacher I've never met, but you know he he's out there. There's people whose work you read, so there's a, there's a lot of it. Yeah, well, it's good I mean, for everybody. Yeah, that's well, that's that's an impressive list, and it's I love asking that question just because uh, you brought up the, one of the most important things, which is so much of the time the work that we find to be the most rewarding is work that is done with and for other people and is inspired and informed by the people, you know, that we learned, learned from. And so it's just seems to often be the response to that question is people are just kind of re paying it forward and returning the favor. They, they got something that helped form them and, you know, help cultivate their character and, and give them a sense of direction and purpose. And so passing it, you know, forward to the next generation. We are um, coming down to the end of our 30 minutes together. I have one last question that I ask all of my guests. So I'm going to uh, present it to you now. And that is David, just what's one tip or piece of advice that you would want to leave listeners with to help them fly higher in whatever endeavor or enterprise that they seek excellence in? Uh I have to say teachers matter every time I have a platform to do it. It's because I, I just, I know that they do. Uh, so that's not an advice except to say that I believe it's worth people's time to pause for a second and commit to 15 minutes today to say, I'm going to send a note or make a call to someone who has influenced me in the way that you prompted me to respond to in the earlier question, uh, just to say, thanks. So I, I think that attitude of gratitude goes a really long way uh, towards making a continued difference and impact in people's lives. And also, I think the other piece of advice would be engage in some reflection and ask yourself hard questions and be willing to shift, be willing to change so you can lead people and don't stop being a learner yourself. Just mm -hmm. do not, you don't have to be frenetic you don't have to engage in chaos, but if you're focused and intentional and you're pursuing noble causes and you surround yourself with the right people, as, as you really emphasize, I, I, you know, keep true to your core beliefs and your faith. I don't, I don't think you can go wrong. That's really, really great advice. What a great place to end. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in, David. And I really appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention. And we hope that today's broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. You can learn more about David Reynolds. Go ahead and give us those, those places to connect, David. Email me at leadlearnchange at icloud.com, uh, Instagram at lead.learn.change, uh, LinkedIn, David W. Reynolds, Twitter, at uppercase P-A-G-E underscore impact and my podcast, Lead, Learn, Change through any podcast app. Fantastic. And of course, it's always great to see you at creativeonpurpose.com. Now, go out and make a difference and keep flying higher. David Reynolds, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Scott.